Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. to be spoken here on the extreme life of mad hardy presented to you exclusively by podcast heat and adfreeshows.com i of course am john alba joined as i am every single week by the broken one the woken one the spoken one himself mr mad hardy matt what's going on you are doing it your first ever outdoor taping here on location it would appear yes i'm on vacation i'm on vacation in the 305 the 305. Okay. In Miami, yeah. Although it could be Havana. You know, I'm, I'm, we might go there later in the week. Yeah. Uh, you know, to hell with Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway. They're going to suspend me for a week from AW programming just because they're in charge of my contract right now. Show them I'm on vacation. You know, I'm a, I'm a glass half full type of guy. So instead of seeing it as a suspension, I just looked at it as a vacation. There's worse places to be than Miami. You go out right. for dinner. Every beverage costs you a minimum thirty-two dollars a piece. Oh, maybe. <laughs> well, then, then I've I've been dro- I've been dropping the money today, then, because I have a hell of an array of beverages. Let's see the array of beverages. What do we got? All here? right, here we go. Uh, first and foremost, I have agua. Okay. You gotta have agua. The essentials. You gotta stay hydrated. And then I'll come over to this side. I have a. Diet Pepsi today, in case I need a little extra caffeine. Okay. I like that you're And then over here. Yes, 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 yes. And then I have nice, hot, fresh coffee, and it's the uh, Havana mix. This is beautiful. And you see, I'm getting them from each side, each time. <laughs> and then in case I get depleted of energy, because this is a massive podcast, I got a little, uh, a little rain? A rain. It's not a bang. <laughs> it's a rain. Yeah. A, a bringer rain. Is that the gummy bear flavor? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. white gummy bear. Are you a fan? Uh, it's it's not as if I'm exposing myself as having consumed all of these or anything like that. But uh, okay. yeah. there you have it. <laughs> and then over here, I have a little lemonade. Okay, that's very South Florida. I can get into that. Very South Florida. And then on top of that, someone brought a little milk to our room for room service. So I also have some milk. And this is in dedication to Kurt Angle, to my Olympic hero. Thank you for being part of the uh, 30 years celebration tribute. Cheers. It's true. It's true. So, yeah, Boy, I got six beverages. That is that is your largest array of beverages you've ever had here on the extreme. Yes. It is a massive array of beverage. I don't know how I feel about combining Pepsi, energy drink, lemonade, coffee, and milk together. Uh, you know, I, I don't die, so it's fine. It's true. And you grew up on the cooking 
and providing of Gilbert Hardy. Of so, yeah, yeah. Okay. I get what right. you're saying. I understand. So, so, so my system is uh, is well versed for a whole bunch mm. of nasty shit going into it. <laughs> Even if it doesn't mix up, it's well versed. Well, uh, we had an opportunity to take fan questions last week with Ask Matt Anything. Did you have a good time answering those questions, Matt? I had a blast. Ask Matt, Volume 4. It was really good, really fun. A lot of great questions. Thank you guys for submitting the questions. I uh, greatly appreciate it. And it ended up being a very, very enjoyable uh, episode. I like how you, you never do it. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-direction book. You know those old-school mm. books? You never know what direction it's going to go in. So it's a lot of fun. It's always uh, always exciting. Yes, it's like those Goosebumps novels. You figure out which way yes. you're going and, and all that. And you know what you do, Matt Hardy? You let it play out, which is what you can do over at theboxofgimmicks.com. And pick up your Extreme Life yes, sir. Matt Hardy t-shirt. Let, let it play out. Matt Fact, Matt Fiction, Spoken Matt Hardy, The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Lots of good ones there. Boxgimmicks.com. And Matt Hardy, we would be remiss if we did not remind people that this coming Thanksgiving weekend, we are a month away, Matt Hardy. It is a live edition of The Extreme Life over at WrestleCade in your neck of the woods. Hardy country, Winston-Salem, right. North Carolina. We are doing a live panel, which you can get your tickets for now. WrestleCade.com. 25 years of Omega. We will be celebrating it. We'll be talking with some Omega legends. And you had a chance on the airplane to reconnect with an Omega legend himself this past weekend, didn't you? I did with the hurricane. Uh, little <laughs> did I know he was going to be on that plane. And I got to tell you, whenever I sat down in my seat and then someone came up to the person sitting beside me and said, excuse me, can I sit in that seat? Can we, can we trade? And then I looked down and it was, uh, it was the hurricane, Shane Helms. That's like, well, of course you can have the seat, you know, going to take care of my elders. You know, so uh, he sat, sat beside me and we had an amazing conversation, chatting down and kind of catching up, talking about life and career stuff. And it's always great when I catch up with him. And it, this is made three times. Now, I've seen him either in an airport or an airplane. That's the last three times we've crossed paths, which is so crazy. You know, with both of us having... Uh, Young kids, and then uh, these these big careers going on. You know, the only time we really run into each other is is, is uh, during travel. Did you have to make sure that he didn't spill his beverages? That he made sure to put his tray table up, make sure that his seatbelt was buckled. Just because you know, when you get older, you tend to forget those things. He he did pretty good. He he was uh, very responsible on uh, on all of those uh, issues. So I feel like he's uh, he's doing well for a man of his age. Okay, that's good to hear. I'm really glad to hear that. We're always he's, he's in good. He's in good health for an elder statesman. Those those WWE changes have brought about some kind days for Hurricane Helms. I like to hear that. That's good news <laughs> uh, all around on that front. Uh, I do got to tell you. I do got to tell you this too, John. He is working so much with WWE. Like uh, he does so many special projects on the side. He does so much outside of just like television and pay per views. Mm-hmm. So many special products, and he is very trusted by the powers that be in WWE. So he's doing really, really well for himself there, and I'm very proud of him. What's up with that? That's all I got to say. You no, know, what's up with that? What's up with that? <laughs> Matt Hardy, the firm brother. They're making your life a living hell here. I know you're you're making, you know, you're turning lemons into lemonade, but we saw a firm fact on dark elevation. There's suspensions going around. What the hell is going on here, man? Uh, the the suspension didn't really bother me. The firm fact was insulting, but didn't really bother me. What bothers me is when they hit me in my pocket, you know, and they they doubled up on those fines. Hit me with two fifty thousand dollar fines, which is like uh, you know a twentieth of my AEW paycheck. Which sucks, uh, but but I got to tell you, the firm man uh, 
they want to play this game of mental chess and go back and forth and try and make each other's life miserable, I will do the same to them. And, People, and if, what, are, what are they going to do? Are they, are they going to fire me? Are they going to, I dare you, fire me. I love AEW with everything in my soul and with every fiber of my being. But like if they did decide to fire me, that means I could go somewhere else or I could renegotiate my contract actually back with Tony Khan again and they wouldn't have control. So I'm going to see if I can push them to the brink of firing me. That's kind of my, that's my objective here. And people don't understand. You literally have the backing of public enemy. Oh, I, huge. Yeah. I mean, uh, a- after I dropped uh, black steel in the hour of chaos, on national television, global television, on Rampage, it, it plays everywhere. And then uh, the other day, after I went on vacation, I, I wanted to respond to the suspension. I hit the first verse of "Bring the Noise," and uh, you know, Public Enemy retweets from it. Uh, Chuck D retweets from it. You know, Chuck D uh, shouted me out. Very cool, man. Public E, uh, Public Enemy shouted me out after I did their deal on TV. So uh, they, they've been really cool, man. It's been awesome. And, and Public Enemy, in case people don't know, I've tweeted this just again today. Like they were my first ever musical group, and they were usually influential to me. I mean, because Chuck D was one of the first people that I ever saw that like had this purpose. He had this cause, and he was absolutely motivated in 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 being a person who was driven to make that cause better so that that was heavily influential to me gun to your head chuck d or chuck t sorry chuck t i'm gonna go with chuck d yeah boy what a what a, what a random question john oh uh, you're you're best your best friends guy i know you you support the best friends so <laughs> i just had to had to put you put your back to the corner there but uh sorry yeah. chucky t yeah sorry buddy anyway the firm fact wasn't about it. I, I know that you don't eat unseasoned chicken. I know that's not accurate. Are I know you kidding me? My brick would kill me. It, yes, she would. She doesn't exactly. make anything like that. She, she seasons stuff up to perfection. Exactly. So, since we're talking No Mercy 2000 on this week's edition of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, let's get the firm fact out of the way and let's hit that Matt fact. What you got? Matt fact. Matt must have a Cuban sandwich every time he comes to Miami. I think that might have been a little bit of an audible there. Did you call an audible on your Matt fact? I did. I did call an audible. I had something uh, totally different I was going to go with. But uh, yeah. it, it just fit. You know what I mean? I it, it, I it, it fit and it, uh, it, it was uh, a very modern day scenario. So I thought we should spit that Matt fact. Well, we'll save the other one for next week. A lot of people had thoughts about your one from last week about coughing in the air. Apparently, there's nerve endings there uh, that when you stick the Q-tip there, it just makes you, like I said, it's like the dog. When you, you scratch them, they start kicking. Sure. It's just inherent. It is human nature. The, the tricky thing about mine is that in my in my right ear, I, I never call. I've never called. In my left ear, it doesn't have to go very far at all. It doesn't even have to go into, like, you know, by my eardrum. If it goes into my left ear just a little bit though it's 100 percent guaranteed i'll call it's a reflex. i love it well you can check that out in the archive extremehardy.com as well as our unforgiven 2000 episode which was about the steel cage match between you guys and edging christian where you guys won the wwe tag team championship in proper form 
And that's where we pick up our build for No Mercy 2000. And one thing we didn't talk about on the Unforgiven 2000 episode, Matt, was that that evening is the night that Stone Cold Steve Austin returns from a 10-month absence. You might recall he was run over by an assailant in a vehicle. His body went flying, and it took him 10 months to recover from this malicious attack. What do you remember about his pop that night when he came back, and how important was it for the locker room to get him back? It was a big deal to get him back, obviously. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin was our, our top performer. He was a guy that was uh, drawing money. People were buying more tickets to see him than anybody else. And the thing that sums up that whole period for me more than anything else is this. I did it for The Rock. That's uh, that's what I remember more than anything about that whole period. But, yeah, of course, it was great to have Steve back, man. Steve was always cool. He was always down uh, with myself and Jeff since day one. He was always a big fan of the stuff that myself and Jeff did with Edge and Christian. Always super supportive. Always offering to give advice, give tips on things, uh, help make us a more complete worker, complete wrestler, work on character stuff, whatever it may be. So, man, it was great to have Steve back. He was a very positive force for the locker room. I'm glad you brought up the Rikishi line because I did want to ask about Rikishi. I know you're uh, good buddies with the use and Rikishi. And he is somebody that, as we've talked about in the past on this podcast, was unbelievably over in the Too Cool presentation. And he was really knocking on the door of doing some special stuff. But instead, they turn him heel and they make him the one that ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin because he did it for The Rock. And he's going to be positioned to work with Austin here. What did you think about them taking a massively popular babyface character in a guy like Rikishi and kind of force turning him in order to give Austin a fresh opponent? You know, I mean... The, the one thing about professional wrestling, when you have an act that is over, and Rikishi was over for his entertainment value, without a doubt, he's he's just a cool, charismatic son of a gun, man. R- Rikishi is legitimately one of the coolest human beings I've ever met. You know, I I am very proud to say that. It's, it's very factual. But I feel like sometimes when people feel like something may have run its course, if they felt like Rikishi could still be overdoing that, but he can't really advance or move up the ladder in his career, maybe it's time for a different direction. And I think that's why they initially attempted to turn him heel. But sometimes guys are so over and so beloved. It's kind of like uh, swimming upstream when you turn an act heel like that. Well, they had to hit you over the head with it, that he was a bad man because his entrance theme became, I'm a bad man. Bad man. Bad man. So I don't know if you heard of it, Rikishi was a bad man at this point when he did it for The Rock. And I think that was a lot of Vince trying to tap into. Rikishi doesn't have a whole lot of a character. He's he's a big dude. He likes to dance. He likes to have a good time. Stink face, all that stuff. But there's not a lot of depth. And on the surface, me watching this and from having had conversations with you in the past about what Vince used to like to do, it almost strikes me as him wanting to add these layers to Rikishi that I'm not sure that the fans were really all that ready to accept at that point. Is there any merit to that? Yes. And uh, I, I do have to say this, John. When you go back to the year 2000, the wrestling fan was very different than a 22-year-later 2022 wrestling fan. If you wanted to successfully turn Rikishi, now, currently, if it, if it was all the same, if you teleported him, you know, from 2000 to 2022, I think it would be easier to do now because the people would just go along with it easier and they would understand and it would be easier for him to get heat in a certain way. I just felt like he was such a fan favorite. People were so into him. They were so into his act. It was just hard to turn him 
to Hill and make people really despise him. It's funny because obviously the Ustos are his sons, you know, Sokoa, Solo Sokoa, his son. They have such a natural presentation in the bloodline with Roman Reigns. And had something like that existed for Rikishi in 2000, or if Rikishi had been around, as you said, teleported to today, that feels like a natural progression for someone like him, where he could have been taken more seriously and not forced into that little pocket. Have you enjoyed the Bloodline presentation from what you've seen of it? I know, you've, as you've said in the past, you saw all those guys as kids back in the day, and now they're top of the game in WWE. Yeah, no, I, I think it's been really good. And, and, I, and I really, I honestly believe the biggest difference in being successful as a top draw as a heel nowadays is, is the fans because they just understand better. It's uh, it's kind of been a whittled down to a smaller niche of pro wrestling fans and they really get what's going on. And I remember Vince was so hesitant for so many years to turn Raymond, uh, to turn a Roman Reigns. To turn, yeah, to turn Roman into a heel. And uh, Roman is the top babyface, uh, which he was being pushed and promoted as during that time. I knew whenever they decided to turn him heel because fans were already booing. I mean, they, they were ready and it was going to be easy to do. And all it was going to do ultimately was make him into a much bigger star. Because Roman Reigns is a bad man. Don't forget that. <laughs> uh, after Unforgiven 2000, Matt, you, you hit on this a little bit in our episode, but the night after is the first Raw of the TNN era. Raw has moved from USA Network, it's home for mm-hmm. since the start, to TNN, which has lower total viewership numbers than USA. And the viewership is considered a down number for this premiere episode. 7.14 million people. It's down. What a shame. A terrible number. In the Raw is in the mud. And people can't fathom that only 7 million people watched it. And part of it was they got to see a ladder match between Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys, where if Edge and Christian lost, it would be their last chance at the titles as right. the Hardy Boys held the titles. You told us briefly last time that you had no idea this match was coming. So please give us some backstory on that. Yeah, we had no idea. <laughs> we, uh, we all assumed... Myself, my brother, Edge and Christian, we were told we were just going to do something simple on Raw. Uh, In-ring promo, uh, a backstage vignette, something, nothing physical though. We were already told we weren't doing anything physical on this Raw. And it was obviously the big debut of Raw on a brand new channel, a brand new network. So they wanted to load it up. And I remember walking in that day and seeing we had this match that like spanned over three different segments on TV. And we were all like beat the fuck up so much. And we're like, what? And we're going, guys, you, you can't expect us to do a ladder match after you told us we weren't going to be doing anything. And we went all in last night. I mean, that's a lot to ask for. And I remember Pat Patterson saying, Guys, you can just go tell a good story. You don't have to do all the crazy high spots and all the bumps. You don't have to make the crowd go bananas. You don't have to go banana in the match. He said, just give them a good story. Maybe use use the weapon, use the ladder as a weapon more. You know, where you don't take any big bumps. You don't have to do any big bumps. And we go, Pat, we can't. We've set a bar and it's very high and we have to go and at least maintain that bar. So we're going to figure out what we can do and try and make the most of it. And I mean, Pat's right in the big scheme of things, but especially at that time, we were all so successful and we all got so we became established superstars because we kept raising the bar over and over and over and over again. So we, we wanted to live up to that hype. 
was it perhaps too much to do two stipulation matches and back-to-back days like that cage match and then keep in mind the cage match had the story of the concerto too and a ladder got involved with that so this wasn't just your standard cage match there were these other elements now you're doing a ladder match the next day that's a lot for the viewer to consume there I mean, it's a lot, but I can totally see why Vince did it. I mean, it makes sense. If I was a promoter, I would get why you would have these acts that did these crazy train wreck matches, you know, that like uh, were really hot and really over at that time. And now you're starting on a new network and, and you want to make sure people follow and tune in. Yeah, I, I totally get why I did that. Was it a lot to do? Yeah. And I, I feel like if we would have been like mentally prepared – and that maybe would have helped us even get a little more physically prepared uh, the, the night before, whenever we won the titles. I feel like we would have been a little better off. But just throwing it on us as soon as we showed up at TV was, uh, was a lot. They were asking for a lot at that point. I was just going to ask you, so you believe that the premiere on TNN was a direct correlation to you guys having a ladder match on Raw? Oh, uh, 100%. I mean, that, that's the only reason it happened. I mean, it wouldn't have been booked for any other reason. Because that match was uh, that match was always used as a special attraction match. Anytime we did gimmick matches, you know, between Hardy's Edge and Christian and the Dudleys, they, they were always on big platforms. And to just do one randomly that was decided of the day of a show, obviously it was because it was on a new network. So you really had no idea the day before that you'd be no. That's no. crazy. Yeah. No, I said, that's fine. So I superplex me off the top of the cage. And Adam's going, give me a concerto and I'll fall from the top of the cage. Jeff's, I'll do a whisper in the wind off the top of the cage. You know, we were all going all in on everything, you know, and we may have changed the structure of some of the stuff if we knew we had to, you know, bust our asses the next day too, because like we were, we were all, we were all beat the hell up, man. But I mean, I get it. I, I get why Vince did it. And it makes sense from a, from a business perspective, without a doubt. Hey guys, listen up. I know these days when you watch the news, it feels like it's one hit after another and it's all bad news for the economy. Well, let me give you some good news. It's not all that bad when it comes to real estate. Let me explain. You see a year ago, man, real estate was hot, hot, hot. Everybody and their brother was trying to go out and buy another house. What did that mean? It was so competitive that a lot of folks got discouraged. So let me ask you, have you thought about buying a house in the last couple of years, but Maybe just couldn't win a bid. I used to hear that all the time. Well, now is the time to buy. Yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but what that's created is an opportunity for you. A year ago, it wasn't uncommon for there to be more than a dozen offers on a home, many of which were over list. That is not the case today. So if you got discouraged once before about trying to buy a new house, now's the time to take another look. Now, yes, interest rates have creeped up a little bit, but you're not going to overpay for the home, but here's what you will do. You'll stop throwing your money away on rent and now you'll get a greater tax deduction. That's right. You see, at the end of the year, you're going to get a statement from your mortgage company that shows how much interest you paid and you get to write all of that interest off. That means you could get a huge tax deduction. You never get that as a renter. Not only that homes are still going up in value. Don't believe the hype. All of the economists believe long-term real estate always works out. Let me give you an example. Maybe way back when, in the housing collapse of 2008, you bought in 2007 and maybe overpaid. Buddy, if you hung in there, that house is worth a whole heck of a lot more now. If you've played in the stock market, you know what I'm talking about. You only lose money when you throw in the towel. Real estate long-term always performs well. So here's my advice to you. Date the rate, marry the house. Find the house that you and your family love long-term, because here's what's not long-term. These higher rates. 
I've yet to see a single economist who doesn't agree with me that rates are going to return. So doesn't it make sense to get the house you want right now? And then when rates improve, man, just get a lower monthly payment. In the meantime, you'll enjoy a greater tax deduction and that property is going to continue to appreciate, meaning you're building equity and wealth for yourself. Not only that, how about this? We're going to save you some cash at buywithconrad.com. We're going to give you the peace of mind of a seven-year guarantee. When rates improve over the next seven years, not if, but when, that's my prediction, we'll refinance you again with no new origination points. Think about that. That could save you thousands of dollars and give you the peace of mind of knowing that you got the right house for your family right now. And then when the rates improve, man, get a lower monthly payment. Now, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but you do need to hurry to buywithconrad.com. That's the first step. You tell us how much you want to put down and what you want your monthly payment to be. We get you approved, and then you go shopping just like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, if you've thought about buying a house over the last couple of years, but you got discouraged, now's the time to take another look. Let me run the numbers for you right now. You'll be glad you did at buywithconrad.com. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, you guys do a pretty big number for the segment. You actually do almost triple the number that WCW has in head-to-head on Nitro. Again, this is late September 2000. Nitro is a sinking ship. You went against your boy Booker T and Vince Russo in a cage match for the World Heavyweight Championship head-to-head. And you guys drew almost triple, so you got that over Booker. Uh, It was three times, three times, three times the number that he was able to do over there. And uh, you slaughter them in the ratings. It's not even competitive. So much so that reports start to surface the next week that a sale could be imminent for WCW. And there's two people who are being talked about for potentially investing and purchasing WCW. Eric Bischoff and his new team that he's forming or Vince McMahon. Do you remember there being any murmurs around the locker room at this time about a potential sale and acquisition of WCW? Uh, when when WCW ratings started plummeting, we uh, I think everybody knew it was kind of nearing the end for those guys. We we definitely thought something was going to happen. There there was a little buzz, especially once those ratings started plummeted so much, and we were clear cut winners of the Monday Night Wars. Uh, looking back in hindsight, the thing that that match against the young, super hot Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian in a ladder match. Versus Booker T and Vince Russo, that just sounds insane. The the whole you know Vince Russo, he was always cool with me. He was really nice to us when we were there, and always got along with. Him. But that is just that is something wild, man. That Vince Russo versus Booker was like when went against us, you know, on television shows, and you know we're competing against us in the ratings. That was a that was a hell of a selection of, to put on against us. But it's a cage match, bro. <laughs> It's a gimmick, bro. People are going to love it, bro. Do you have any good Vince Russo stories? We've never really talked about him here. Uh, 
not a ton. I mean, Vince was Vince was very cool and supportive of us in the beginning. You know, we, we kind of always worked with Ed. Ed kind of worked with the, you know, underneath guys, especially when we were starting. If we were doing a vignette or a pre-tape, whatever it may be, you know, usually it was Ed Farrar. So Vince was always cool. He was always fine. And uh, I've always had a, had a great relationship with Vince. I've got along really good with him. You know, I've never had any issues with him, whatever. You know, but sometimes I... I think he's a little too critical when he talks about ratings nowadays, not drawing what it drew then, because it's just, it's, it's a different world. It's a different animal. You really can't compare the two. I mean, wrestling ratings will never be like that again now because there is 20,000 channels. There are dozens of different platforms to watch content on. I mean, there's so much content out there, you know, and when you go back to 1999, 2000, it was such a limited selection of things to watch. You know, and that's when wrestling was in its heyday, obviously. Wrestling's still super popular now. It still does really good. There's just so many more great shows and programs out there that it is competing against. I mean, it's never going to draw the numbers it did then. The viewer consumption experience was much more concentrated back then. And when things are more concentrated, you're going to see things in mass. And that's how it was back then. And I'm with you. You either yes. adapt with the times or you don't get it. So uh, on the next week's Raw... You and Jeff defend the titles again against your boy Scotty Tuhani and Grandmaster Sexy. And you retain after Edge and Christian interfere. They take out Scotty. And I was going through some notes here, and Dave Meltzer notes that in The Observer, it, it appears like Jeff was in a lot of pain around this time. He says it, it could be selling, but Jeff really looks like he's hurting, might have some nagging injuries. Was Jeff just that good at selling at that time? We've talked at length about how good Jeff is at selling, or was he beat up around this point in 2000? I, I'm pretty sure Jeff was selling. I mean, Jeff, Jeff was real big on selling, and he always wanted to act like he was hurt. I mean, he was, especially for those first five, six years, I felt like Jeff was just invincible, you know? So he, he was, I think he was okay. Okay. Just making sure, because those nagging injuries pop up a lot, and you said that it did take him some time to recover from the swanton he did off the ladder WrestleMania with his foot. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious how much carryover there is from stuff like that. But as you also said, uh, you guys work two very physical matches in a two week yeah. period. So there's going to be some carryover from that. Yeah. Uh, let's get some WWE booking in, though, because that's my favorite thing to talk about with you here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Is there any sarcasm in that? I mean, I do love talking about it with you. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Over on SmackDown, uh, Lowdown, a team I don't think we've ever spoken about on this podcast, D'Lo Brown and Chaz, Beaver Cleavage, if you will, got into the title hunt by teaming with Jackie against you and Lita and Jeff when D'Lo powerbombed Lita and Jackie pinned her. And then Lowdown laid you and Jeff out after. What do you think of Lowdown? As a team, a smorgasbord of a tag team just kind of thrown together there. I thought it was interesting putting those two guys together. Uh, it was two guys that they were they were young talent that they thought had potential. And I, I felt like they tried to put them together to see if they could get over and work as a tag team. Uh, I like both guys. Uh, Chaz, we had so many stories with him. We met him originally back in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, worked with him there. And then they, they helped us out early on before we could get rental cars. They would come in and sign off on the rental cars and drive us around and whatnot. They also corrupted the Hardy Boys a little bit. So you can blame the headbangers from that half ass. Between them and Michael Hayes, uh, we used to be good kids until this wrestling business got us all fucked up. <laughs> um, and then D-Lo, D-Lo was always cool too. Once again, 
met him in Smoky Mountain as well and uh, and worked with him. And, and I enjoyed working with him. We had good matches. And they were also like uh, more modern age guys. They had like a more modern age ring style and, and mentality. So so I was cool working with them. But I, I just don't think they ever got hot like the company hoped they would get hot. I always felt like D'Lo could have been more in WWE. I thought he had charisma. He had some swagger. Really good athlete. Former D1 player at UMaine. And he just never right. was quite able to get over that hump. Maybe his mic skills set him back a little bit. Not sure. But he's carved out a nice career for himself in talent development. Have you seen any of that firsthand uh, from stuff he's done with Impact or beyond that? I, I just know he works in talent development. I've never been really with him at the same place. I was with him for a, 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 a tiny, small amount of time at Impact. But no, I haven't really experienced a lot of it firsthand. Yeah. Uh, everyone I've worked with has really enjoyed working with him. So a shout out to D'Lo on that. Well, on Raw in Anaheim, you guys get your win back against Lowdown. It's a tag title match. D'Lo had Jeff pinned, but then you came off the top and you put Jeff on top of him. Chaz laid out Jeff with the belt afterwards because we must continue. So I've got a question for you. Why have a full other team be challengers if we know that that's not going to be the direction come the pay-per-view that's coming up in a couple weeks here. I, I think they were just trying to put an obstacle in front of the uh, challengers, uh, Matt Jeff Hardy. I think they are just trying to put an obstacle in front of us to, to make us overcome it to get to the pay-per-view. Did you know that Edging Christian would be on the docket again at No Mercy? Uh, there, we, had, we had talked about a couple different ideas. I know that they... Creatively, they wanted to have his face Edge and Christian, but have shenanigans be involved in it. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Christian's idea. And he started cooking that up. And then we kind of all worked it out together. Okay. You've been working with Edge and Christian so much for the last year at this point. We're, we're now a year after the tag team ladder match. We've, we've covered a right. year's worth on the show chronologically. You've been working with them like crazy. I know there's good chemistry. I know you enjoy them as people. But does it get stale at any point working with the same guys over and over again? Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things you can go back to the well once too often, as they love to say that expression in, in WWE. But I mean, obviously, we enjoyed working with Edge and Christian. We had great chemistry. We trusted them. We were all real life friends. So uh, we, we, had, we had a really good working relationship. But yeah, I, there does have to come a time where you have to move on to, to new things. You can't stay the same forever. You have to always evolve. Because if, if you don't evolve and you don't change over time, uh, you, you, you don't stay the same. You either get better or you get worse. And, and sometimes you have to move on, even from working with those you know, opponents that you love so much. So we were definitely getting towards the end of our run with Edge and Christian. But you know, we tried to put a different spin on it and, and make it new and make it different. So that it would work. And that's exactly what we're going to get. Let's fast forward here to that week's SmackDown. Now it's a defense for you two against Raven and Taz. Before I get into what happened, I want to ask you about Raven and Taz. I don't anticipate we'll talk too much about them in the future on this show. Two guys who were justly over in their own right in ECW. WCW even, Raven had a nice run too. Why didn't either of those guys click as talent in WWE in this time? Um, the biggest reason I would 
I would guess that they didn't really click or things didn't work out is that they were established stars in ECW, first and foremost. And, and Jeff and I were excited to have a match with them because we loved what Raven did in ECW. We loved what Taz did in ECW. But I feel like they were probably pretty set on, like, that's what got them over. That's what they need to do. And I would venture to guess that Vince had a totally different vision for them. And then they, they, they couldn't meet anywhere in the middle. And there, there became a conflict because Vince saw them as something different. And then if you don't really go with what Vince wants you to do, then he's like, all right, well, I don't know. They're not really one of my guys then. So that would be my guess at why they didn't succeed as much as you would have guessed they would have succeeded. It's weird because Taz debuts in WWE earlier that year at Royal Rumble 2000, the show that we did an episode on in our archives, ExtremeHardy.com. He debuts against Kurt in the opening match of that show at Madison Square Garden. It's one of the loudest pops in WWE history when he comes out. And he he's the first one to beat Kurt Angle. Kurt was undefeated at that point. Taz comes in with a big push, and then here we are, nine and a half months later, and he's losing left and right. He's in a random thrown-together tag team. Do you think Taz could have been more in WWE, or was he saddled with, quote-unquote, ECW stink permanently? I think he could have been more in WWE without a shadow of doubt. But, I mean, you talk about him coming in and beating Kurt. It's just like if you bring someone in that you're hoping to get a return on and make big money, you have to give them something huge right out of the jump. Because if if they come in and they don't do something monumental or something that really gets people talking, then they're kind of like dead in the water right from the jump. So, I mean, Taz needed to come in and get a big win like that. As far as the way the communications went, I would almost guess – that they had different visions on where the Taz character was going to go from there. I would imagine they initially introduced Taz and then Vince and and Taz kind of saw their characters different. And then once they didn't find a healthy compromise, Vince probably just said, okay, well, I'll just, I'll use them where I can. That would be my guess. And then two, there's a big part of me that thinks like Vince would always make people work outside of their comfort zones. He was always always a big fan of that. He said, the only way you can grow, I remember him telling myself and Jeff one time, the only way you can grow is to step out of your comfort zone. And I actually took that to heart. I used to, I, I was very inspired by that, motivated by that. That was why I whole, created the whole Matt Hardy V1 Sensei of Mattitude deal, even Broken Matt. I mean, I, I was always about stepping out of my comfort zone. But I feel like if he didn't feel like Raven was changing enough so that he wasn't just the ECW Raven, or if Taz wasn't changing enough to be the ECW Taz, he probably like was less inclined to, to really push them hard and, and, and make them a bigger star. I mean, that, that, that would be my guess. The rumor also was that Taz roughed up Kurt in that debut match and that he got saddled with the optic that he's an unsafe worker which a lot of people have refuted over the years. He was a physical, aggressive guy, but not unsafe. Did, did you share that sentiment? Uh, I, I never had an issue with Taz. Every time I wrestled, he was, every time I wrestled Taz, he was extremely safe. I always got along great with him, and uh, I always enjoy talking to him now. We're like the, we're the two old guys that talk about all these young guys, and like, look at his son. Oh, he has a thin little waist and a nice smile and a great head of hair, and we are positively envious. What do you think of Hook? You a Hook fan? I like Hook. Hook is very nice. Uh, you can tell he was raised in the business. He's very respectful. Uh, he's just a just a, a cool cat too, a cool laid back cat. And uh, I do I enjoy what Hook's doing. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy whenever I see Hook on TV. I just I wanted to tee up on that stuff because 
it's so fascinating seeing what both of those guys, right. Raven and Paz, came in with, and then here they are just months later in a totally different position. But getting back to the match, uh, Dave says it's a good TV match. Jeff did poetry in motion over the top rope. Then we see a conquistador interfere and do a reverse DDT on Matt Hardy, but Matt, you kick out. Those damn conquistadors aren't going to knock you down here. And Taz locks you in a Taz mission, but Jeff is able to do a swanton. You pick up the pin. And all of a sudden, we've got this introduction of the conquistador. You just said before, you alluded to it at least, that you think this might have been a Christian idea. What did you think of it when you first heard the pitch? Conquistadors? KK? No bueno. No bueno. No, uh... Uh, we thought it would, uh, you know, it, it was a, a good little spin. And it, and it was obviously going to be, we were big work rate guys. I saw something on Twitter recently where they were saying there was a thread going on saying work rate wasn't a thing, whatever. But like, you know, guys who literally got into the ring and like uh, did a lot of stuff, did technical wrestling, took big bumps, did a lot of athletic moves in their match. Guys would say, oh, well, they have a good work rate. They have a good work rate. They have a good work rate. We were like work rate guys. So I thought it was going to be fun to do this deal with the Hardys versus Edge and Christian because it was more of an entertainment-driven angle. And I thought that was something that might help us grow, too. And it, and it was also fun on top of that. It was extremely silly in many, many ways, right? You know, but once again, it's entertainment. Like, wrestling is, is part of entertainment. And if someone doesn't like that, they hate it. I mean, wrestling in the big scheme of things is it is subjective, you know? So there's things that I'm sure that I'm not going to like that other people's going to like, and I'm not going to get mad at them for that because you're you're free to like whatever you like, you know? And same goes for you, John. I'm sure, I'm sure it's the the same deal. There's stuff you like in pro wrestling. There's stuff you're not crazy about, whatever. But wrestling is very subjective, and, and that is because we control it, and we we deem it as entertainment, and we choose a direction, and we move in whatever direction we, we feel like is a best-case scenario. What's fascinating is that we're going to get a chance to lay some layers to the characters here because it starts to become an are they aren't they with the conquistadors we see the conquistadors show up on sunday night heat and there are some clear edging christian mannerisms but then it's also just a straight wrestling match at other times and the gimmick becomes that jim ross is insistent that the conquistadors are edging christian jerry lawler not having it there's no way. There's no way the conquistadors are edging Christian. We see them on Raw the following week face the Dudley boys. And again, Jim is pushing really hard that the conquistadors are edging Christian. Lawler is adamantly denying it. You're you JR's not gonna put his JR's not gonna put his credibility on the line, John. <laughs> JR stand legit. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying here is that it's fun as an audience member where you've got the voices the voices of your program are bickering over something where we've talked about it wrestling can be really fun when you give that little wink and a nod kind of thing and say ah you guys know what's going on but they're insisting no this isn't it how important was the dynamic of Jerry and JR at getting stuff like this over I mean it was it was paramount that's why they were so great together and uh, they, they had great chemistry they were great friends and, and that really 
that really shows whenever those guys are interacting like that. And, you know, speaking of that, as far as JR being the straight man and staying very legitimate, I could totally see Vince producing it that way, too. I'm sure he was. If I'm not mistaken, I, I, I 100% remember Vince telling JR, like, now, when you talk about this on commentary, say it's Edge and Christian. You know, you know, we don't want to insult the intelligence of our viewers. You know, King, you, you do your deal. Do whatever you want to do. Um, but 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 it was important, and, and they had such a great chemistry, and just them taking two different sides of a topic was always fun. Yeah, a great banter. Again, I think the two of them and Jr. and Paul Heyman are just incredible, and I really wish we got more Jr. and Paul Heyman because Paul Heyman knew how to push those red-ass Jr. buns just a little bit, and he could get the best out of him. So <laughs> I wish we got to see a little more of that. But nothing gets me more excited than when Jr. is on AEW commentary and he bitches about tope suicidas and he's just oh is that a is that a tope suicida excalibur i he is still a legend in every single right as far as I'm concerned, so uh, I, I do got to tell you though when it comes to paul Heyman, nobody is a better manipulator oh, and yeah. motivator than paul Heyman. he is the best he is the best and I say that I say that with the most respect to Paul Heyman. Yes, that's why he's with the bloodline and the honorary USO, Sami Zayn. So take that for what it is. Honorary <laughs> But anyway, I'm bringing this up. They have this match against the Dudley Boys because Edge and Christian are actually in the main event, teaming with Kurt Angle against you, Jeff, and The Rock, and it's actually not edging Christian in the Conquistador outfit. So JR is insisting that it is, but the report is per Dave Meltzer, it's actually Christopher Daniels and uh, Aaron Aguilera who are fulfilling the roles of the Conquistadors. So even though the running gag is, oh, the Conquistadors are edging Christian, it's actually not edging Christian who are wrestling in these roles. Is that jurisdiction coming down from anyone in particular? I mean, I think it's something that two shit heels like Edge and Christian would do. I mean, obviously, they would try and cover the tracks and they would try and throw everyone off the scent of the Kinkistadors being Edge and Christian. So so it made them look smart and uh, it, it kept the people guessing. And also, I, I feel like it's pretty entertaining. It is entertaining. Christopher Daniels being a Conquistador. How about that? The Fallen Angel. They, uh, I, I know there were there was a point where there, there were a lot of guys who were big fans of Christopher Daniel and the, the Fallen Angel at that time, and they would really have liked to have seen him join the roster. And ultimately, never did happen. But Christopher Daniels is uh, totally underrated. He's a great talent, had a great mind for the business. Uh, I wrestled him back in the ECWA Super 8 back in the day. That was one of the, the first times we met. But obviously saw him out on the indie trails, not quite as much as other guys because he was a West Coast guy. But Christopher Daniels was an extremely talented guy, and he, he never really got his flowers until later on. Are you familiar with what his original intention in WWE was going to be? I feel like I've heard about this, but I'm not sure. So you remember... The higher, my memory. the higher power angle with the yes, yeah, the the corporate ministry, the ministry yes. of darkness, and Vince did the famous "It was me, Austin. It was me all along." Right. Christopher Daniels was supposed to be the higher power, and apparently, really? and apparently, the rumor, the legend has it that Vince took a look at him and was like, "I can't buy you as the higher power," and it never happened. Uh, now, now that now that you say that, I want to say I've heard rumblings of that, but it, it would be 
it would be hard for me to believe Vince would take Christopher Daniels, a guy who hadn't done anything at that time, and inject him into such a major role as the higher power. Interesting. I think it was, okay. I think it was one of those situations where it was like, you got to check this guy out. You got to check this guy out. You got to see him. And then when Vince saw him, he didn't buy it. Okay. So what a different timeline that would be. The what ifs of pro wrestling, if you will. Oh, what ifs are great, man. <laughs> like what ifs the comics? What if? Yes. But as I said, Edge and Christian are teaming with Kurt Angle here. You're teaming with The Rock in the main event. Uh, this is setting up the pay-per-view match between The Rock and Kurt Angle at No Mercy as well. And you guys get high marks for this match. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we get to see all of top stars in WWE in action here. Triple H is backstage watching the match to add some layers to the stories. And uh, man, ultimately, Kurt gets the pin after an Olympic slam here, but you're hustling and bustling with the top names in WWE. How'd you guys feel about your positioning here? So, I, I do remember that match very well. And I remember it was very cool being on in the main event slot on Raw teaming with The Rock, who was getting extremely hot at this point. He was one of the biggest stars in WWE. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Jeff is the one that, that was pinned in that match, correct? Correct. So I, I, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite memories about this night and this match is I remember Jeff suggested to The Rock, he said, well, I was thinking about it. You know, it kind of fits with our whole gig with what we're doing with Edge and Christian and everything else. Like, what if at the very end there's a deal where I'm out before I come in the ring to get hit by Stephanie and I'm legal and I pull out a ladder and I go up on the ladder outside and I jump, I'm going to jump over the ropes and I'm going to swanton Edge or Christian in the ring and, and that's where she hits me with the deal, you know, or she can be on the apron and hit me with the deal and I fall into the ropes and that's what leads to the finish happening. And I remember Rock like sat there and looked and kind of looked over at Jeff and he looked at me and he kind of said like, give me a little bit of the people's eyebrow. I said, brother, he said, that's a great idea. He said, but I don't I don't know if it fits in this match. He said, let's use that some other time. He said, let's just do a, a straight match this time and not use the ladder. And I'm just like, okay, that's cool. And Rock like said it's so nice and so cool. But Jeff did have this crazy creative idea. And very much like Michael Hayes, he had this wild idea in mind. He wanted to spit it out and get it out there. But I remember Rock was just like the coolest cat in the room whenever he like looked at Jeff for a second. And he looked at me and he's like, he's like, oh, that's a great idea. Well, let's let's put that in our back pocket and save it for a little bit later. Let's let's go with the straight matches time and not use any ladders, which was a, a very fine memory because Rock said that very kind. I don't think this is a question that's ever been asked before, so I'm very anxious to hear your response. Was Rock good at putting matches together? I think so, especially his style. You know, in in, in that period of of wrestling, it wasn't about necessarily a high work rate or the match being four stars, five stars. That wasn't the, the whole purpose of these matches. It was to go out and get the crowd hype and, and get your character over with the crowd. And nobody was more over than The Rock, you know, like that was Stone Cold and The Rock. They were running the joint. Rock knew exactly what he needed to do to get reactions from the crowd. And he was a master of it. No one was better. I mean, if, if you inserted him into today's pro wrestling where it's like mandatory. You're much more than like a caricature or a cartoon, and you have to go out and work an amazing match. It would be a lot more difficult for Rock. But like Rock, as far as being a character and being an amazing, solid athlete, doing more basic, fundamental stuff, nobody was better at constructing a match or constructing a story. Let me say that, constructing a story better than The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Well, I, I ask that because, as I've told you, I have three guys, Kurt Angle, Matt Hardy, and The Rock. 
I've seen a lot of rock matches, and almost every right. rock match follows the same formula. Hot mm-hmm. start, rock sells like a fish out of water, he hits his comeback, and then the entire comeback to end of the match are built around moments. Everything is a moment in that last third of a match where there's a big false mm-hmm. finish or a near fall and a big power move near fall. Moments, moments, moments that allow the crowd to build, build, build ultimately to the people's elbow where the camera zooms out. Most electrifying move in sports entertainment. The people's elbow drops it. One, two, three. That's every rock match. And it worked to a T. It wasn't brain surgery. It's a pretty simple formula. But him kind of turning down Jeff's idea there in a polite way, it just tickled my brain a little bit as to say, okay, how, what is the psychology for him? So is that accurate in saying that he built his matches around moments? Yes, it is. Okay. And, and, and I agree. Like, even interjecting a ladder in the match at the end, I mean, it's not like we're going to build to a ladder match with Edge and Christian. Right, right, right. It, it just didn't, mm-hmm. necess- it didn't fit. It didn't fit into the story we're telling. And I know there's a, uh, in the back of Rock's mind too, it's like, hold up, kid. Like, you're going to be able to slatter and take some crazy bump, which is going to steal the show from what I'm doing with Kurt or whatever it may be. I mean, he, he was very savvy and aware of things like that as well. I mean, at the end of the day, what is the, what is the goal and purpose of pro wrestling as a business, John? Draw money. So, Rock, as a performer and wrestler in the ring, did he draw money? Uh, yeah, but his persona is what really drew the money. Absolutely. It was his character. It was it was the connection that people had with him. And once again, wrestling has just changed. Like the the standards and the bar has changed so much over the years. The smarter and more educated fans had got. That's when they were just really getting in, you know, on the gig, so to say. You look back at Hulk Hogan. Once again, Hulk Hogan made money. He didn't do a lot. Rock did more than Hulk Hogan, but he took it to that next step, that next level, and he knew how to create moments. You know, once again, I say this all the time, the the match where Hulk Hogan and Rock, the the dueling chance in that match is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard in my life, you know, in the Sky Dome. It was such a special moment, you know, with the head turns with really doing simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Iconic, man. Great, great shit. I mean, that match is entirely moments. That's it. You, c- I could not tell you any of the transitional moves that happened yeah. in that match, but it's all moments. So that's entirely. What do you think? Of, what do you What do you think about What do you think about when when you think of that match, Sean? What comes to your mind? I think uh, specifically with that match, I think of when Hogan hits his comeback and he hits the leg drop, goes up in the air, Lawler screams and JR is screaming, he beat Andre the Giant with that move. And it's one, two, kick out. It's one of the most memorable moments for me as a fan growing up. Right. Yeah, that's it. You're right. I I remember that. And and, and I remember that stare at the very end. I, I remember Rock showing... Hogan respected the end too. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I remember. I remember. Yep. I remember the finish. I remember the respect shown at the end, and I remember that great when they're looking at each other and they simultaneously Good turn and like yep. acknowledge the crowd on each side. I just, for me, it's one of my favorite JR calls ever. He beat Andre the Giant with that move right. at WrestleMania. It, it was perfect. It, it was like everything that makes pro wrestling theater great was that match entirely. So. I'm, that's, that's cool to hear that you respect that match as much as a lot of people do as well. It's it's a special one for sure. And the I, good I thing, love it. The good thing too, Matt Hardy, is that The Rock, uh, he wasn't just a, he wasn't just a up and coming superstar 
for what he was able to do on the microphone in the ring as well. He was a good-looking guy back in the day. Still is today, no doubt about that. And you know why? Because The Rock is keeping things trimmed across the head and everywhere else with one of our favorite sponsors here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Queuing up that Halloween music, Michael Myers, man. He is scary, but the last thing that you need is to be hairy this Halloween. Luckily, our friends at Manscaped launched their fourth-generation performance package to make sure your pumpkins get the ultimate carving experience on this spooky day. Turn your bite-sized treat into a king-sized candy and join the six million men worldwide who trust manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code hardy make the right call this spooky season it's trick or trim it's a full moon out the werewolf in your pants is howling it's time to tackle that problem with the lawnmower 4.0 the mower of lawns if you will they're finely tuned pew products feature a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is easily the greatest ball trimmer on the planet. Oh, did I mention, by the way, the trimmer is waterproof as well. This trimmer is shower essential, as The Rock would say, for the millions and millions of men out there who are looking to keep their balls nice and clean, Matt Hardy. Boy, I'll tell you what. I know the house hardy. It's changed quite a bit since you got that first Manscaped package, hasn't it? You are right. It has been positively wonderful. And I got to tell you, there is no better time than right now to start Manscaped. Get with it. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to be confused for a werewolf on Halloween. You want to be clean. It's. It's not at all. The reality here. And you you don't get, want to be a werewolf or beer wolf from Halloween. No, you don't. You don't want to be. I especially those. Oh, you could maybe go with one of those for your Halloween costume. But, uh, <laughs> you could get twenty percent off and free shipping with the code Hardy at Manscaped.com. It's twenty percent off plus free shipping with the code Hardy at Manscaped.com. Say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. What uh, what are the Hardys going to be tackling for a Halloween costume this year? The uh. The edict given down by the Baby Hardy Boys thus far has been the uh, the Sonic versions. We're all going to be different versions of Sonic. So that, that that looks like the working plan as of right now. Okay. I saw that gothic baby went to a spirit Halloween store and made very clear that her culture is not your costume <laughs> for Halloween. So. Gothic baby putting her foot down. As you said, she, she learned baby. she learned how to do it a few months ago, and she hadn't stopped yet. As you said, Gothic baby, half ass over, no doubt about oh, yeah. that. No doubt, half ass over, <laughs> with the so, millions and millions of views. Yes, on the Rebby Hardy TikTok page, go check that out as well. Let's get back to the SmackDown before No Mercy 2000. Here, those conquistadors win a battle royal. Over the right to censor, too cool, the Acolytes, TNA, the Dudleys, and Lowdown to get the tag team title shot against the Hardy Boys by tossing out the Dudleys. The Dudleys should have actually won the match, but the referee missed one of the Conquistadors being thrown out. So, with that said, we are off to the races, getting ready for this pay-per-view. And I'm just saying here, Matt Hardy... It's looking like it's going to be a pretty easy cruising match. These jabroni conquistadors that the Hardy Boys, they don't got to worry about. I, I don't know, though. They just beat Too Cool. They beat the Dudley Boys. They, they, they beat some uh, top-tier tag teams there in that match. So could be dangerous. 
Did you and Jeff have your eyes on the conquistadors? Of course. We had our eyes on everyone. We were the champs. We had to have our eyes on everyone. Were the conquistadors trained at the Funkin' Dojo? Because we didn't see any vignettes for them. We didn't see that. There were no rumors in the sheets that they were going to come up and shake things up in the tag division. No, they were trained by Mil Mascaris and Parath. That's a very <laughs> niche answer, but I will take that. <laughs> I had a so great like, match with Baroth back in the day, Super yeah. Astros. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Any stories there? Uh, it was one of the first times I had to work someone in like a, a major match that was competitive and there was a language barrier. So that was interesting. I mean, he made it work. If, if, it, if, if, I, if I didn't do what he was hoping to do, he would just knock the shit out of me. So we got through it. <laughs> there you Easy. go. And as I said on something to wrestle Mil Mascaras, no yob. There's no yobbing going around here. <laughs> so uh, that gets us to the Pepsi Arena in Albany. For No Mercy 2000, the show drew a sellout, 14,342 people. For a gate of $693,225, and merch was almost another $100,000. So all things considered, Good business all around. This is Stone Cold Steve Austin's first match back. He's got Rikishi, The Rock, defending the title against Kurt Angle. And early in the night, uh, the Hardy Boys make an appearance in a no-contest bout where you make the save on Lita after she teamed with your boys, Farouk and John Bradshaw Layfield against TNA. And uh, you had to make the save, so I'm sure there was some expressed disappointment with JBL not protecting your team extreme teammate there. Hypothetically speaking, what might you have said to Bradshaw? Well, hell, that was not outstanding, JBL. It's a travesty (laughs) or a tapestry. Would you prefer? Might even be a tapestry. Uh, The Dudley boys early in the night had a Dudley Boys Invitational Tables match, which all the tag teams in the division were in, except for one, notably, Edge and Christian. And they did an interview backstage with Lillian Garcia where they said that they were just too sick to compete. They they were too sick. They didn't feel they could be clear to go out there and compete with the Dudley Boys. What do we think of the layering of the storytelling here? We're seeing the Hardy Boys earlier in the night. We're giving Edge and Christian a reason to have not been in that tag team match that involved everyone else in the division. This seems like a conscious effort to pay attention to the little details and storytelling. I, I, I think it was, uh, was a great little piece of business that Edge and Christian did acknowledge why they weren't in that match with the Dudleys, and they said they were sick. I thought that was good. Uh, I'm almost disappointed that we actually had an appearance earlier in the show because I would have saved it till we just came out because that, that really didn't have anything to do. It didn't correlate with our match at all later. So I would rather it just got that initial party boys pop being the mm-hmm. first time out right before the match. Yeah, I think it was just since Lita was not involved in the Team Extreme Act for this show, they wanted to reinforce that even though she's teaming with the APA, she's still with you guys. Yeah. It does feel like it's a little much, but I don't hate that there are layers. I'm never going to be upset about layers when it comes to storytelling, but it is disappointing to hear that Edge and Christian were not feeling great, Matt, because there's a simple solution to that. All they had to do is take their AG1s and they would have felt fine. That's right. And they could have done double duty. Those pieces of shit. <laughs> Drink your AG1s. And yes... Because all they had to find out was that AG1 is one delicious scoop 
and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, which they could have used that day, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of those things. Tons of people these days, Matt, are taking some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. And AG1 is a small microhabit with big-time benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. It's so much easier for you going through the airport, isn't it, where you don't have to have all these different bottles of supplements. You just got your AG1s with you. It's extremely convenient. Extremely convenient. And it's even more convenient because it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health. It's cheaper in your cold brew habit, cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and how many free travel packs, Matt Hardy, with your first purchase? Um, if I'm not mistaken, it is five, cinco, five, cinco, five free travel packs. And I, I let it be known, I brought AG1s here with me on vacation in Miami. So still, first thing every day, I wake up here in the 305 and I hit my AG1s because that gets my day started right. And you got to have that bikini body there over in South Beach. I get it. I totally understand. Oh, it's very important. All you got to do, visit athleticgreens.com slash hardy. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hardy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I've Speaking of that bikini body, I'm wearing a thong down below. Oh, are you? That's really nice. Yeah, I'm out by the pool. <laughs> really nice. Okay, so it's just, it's shirt on, it's, was it a business on the top, party on the bottom for you? You got it. Well, I don't want to get sunburnt, you know. <laughs> Those pasty Cameron, North Carolina cheeks. Got to make sure that <laughs> Okay, it's very hard to keep that tan. I get it, Matt Hardy. I totally understand it. All right. Let's not waste any more time. We are going to be pulling up the cock for this one to watch our No Mercy 2000 match between Los Conquistadors and Matt and Jeff Hardy. If you're watching on Peacock, Season 2, Episode 1 of No Mercy, No Mercy 2000, 134.36 is our start time. Matt, are you ready? I am ready. All right. If you have any ads, because you're not ad-free, which you should always be ad-free, adfreeshows.com, let me know, Matt, and we'll adjust appropriately. But we will count down from 5, 4, Three, two, one, play. And right now we're seeing Kevin Kelly interview Los Conquistadors, and he's saying, guys, we know your true identities. You're Edge and Christian. And all Uno and Dos have to say is, no. And C, Arriba. Where, where was... Where was Scooby-Doo and the Monster Machine? We should have just rushed them in to pull off their mask right from the jump. I know, the the mystery machine. Your, your wife's going to be too happy about that one. Uh, so here we go. I do got to tell you, we, we, we were in such a, a gig of like mimicking the Conquistadors walk. They were at this time. They were and we were whenever we, you know, took the outfits of the Conquistadors as well. We had to uh, walk with your arms swinging like this. That was a big mandatory. <laughs> And the creepy the the C the CLP, he uh, he tried to mimic my Jimmy legs too. That was our little <laughs> inside running joke. <laughs> that was cool that Tommy Dreamer brought up the Jimmy legs on the tribute video. Yeah, the Jimmy legs are famous. Yes, they are. <laughs> 
So very young. intense. <laughs> yeah, there's little, there's little young sex pots. Look at sex pots, the Hardy Boys. I like it. <laughs> Jimmy Corderas, our referee here. Howard Finkel, the ring announcer. Rest in peace. Good old Howard. Yes. And here come the conquistadors, Matt. Let's watch their walk. Let's see if they're trying to do the gimmick walk. Look at the arms. Look at the gimmick arms. <laughs> that was our gimmick, the gimmick arm. They're like action figure arms. You know what I mean? It's like you have a yeah. toy and you're doing that stop motion the way they're the way they're moving, like boom, boom. I love the 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 forward rolls. Kill yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Los conquistadores son muy excelente. They go over to si. Hugo Savinovich and Carlos Cabrera. Great little touch there. Yeah, they go, si, senor, si, senor. They said, are you guys going to win? Or are you going to win the titles? And they said, muy fácil, muy fácil. They did have a plan. I can't I can't believe we didn't, uh, we didn't pick up on it. Actually, looking right there, uh, it looks like that guy has another mask on underneath. <laughs> Ironically, I just noticed that right now. It would appear we that should've, Uno should have got behind him. Uno might have another mask on, hypothetically speaking, here, of course. Those conquistadors reek of awesomeness. Somebody's in on it. Look at that. I see lots of Jeff Hardy signs there, Matt. And on the joke. Here yeah. we go. Okay, you're telling you're telling them I'm taking the mask off. Was that important for you guys to establish yeah. as part of the story? Uh, considering how this match plays out, yes, it was. So we, we had to get that over because I think too we obviously want to retain our titles. That's the story of the match, right? But also we want to expose them as being edgy Christian because we know they're edgy Christian and and we want to be able to stop these games and like put it into all their bullshit. <laughs> The whole reason this came to be, too, is because when they lost that ladder match, as you said earlier, Edge and Christian was never allowed to face the Hardys again for the tag team titles. So that's why they had to, uh, you know, don these costumes. So I believe this is you and Dose starting this here. Yeah. Who, who's, who's Dose? Uh, creepy little Dose, if you will. Yeah, why, why is Christian going to be Dose? He just was? I, Are you I saying he's number two? Christian was you, always... Christian You're trying to be always, like Vince McMahon. Christian was always dose. We know that. Let's not <laughs> let's not shade ourselves here. <laughs> it's messed up, man. It's messed up what you did, John. I will say, I hosted the Kurt Angle show bonus show on ad free shows this past weekend. He said at the end of it that he felt that Christian was the most underrated pro wrestler of all time. He's one of them for sure, for sure, and I you, uh, I concur. Did you like the pairing of Edge and Christian and Kurt together? ECK? Yeah. No, they, they, they were great together. They uh, Edge and Christian helped him, I think, uh, from an entertainment uh, perspective. I, I really I really think they helped him grow and feel more comfortable because they were doing a lot of silly nonsense as well. And I think Kurt really felt comfortable doing stuff like that. I think being with Edge and Christian helped him feel comfortable and step out of his comfort zone. Brian Gewertz's baby boys, you could have called them alternatively. Yeah. I like that was such a Jeff Hardy turnbuckle. He wouldn't even like take their head to the turnbuckle. He would just like throw them. And, like hit it yourself. <laughs> such a Jeff Hardy turnbuckle. <laughs> Big drop kick. A, uh, a very funny story. A little insight into this match. So these, uh, <clears throat> these masks they had to wear, they have a couple masks on. Uh, sorry to 
post a spoiler, but they have a couple masks on. Um, these masks, they didn't have enough masks whenever we got to the building today. I want to say there was one. And we had to, uh, they went out to a mall and bought some masks. I want to say really? it was some famous Mexican masks or whatever. And Adam's mask, Edge's mask was actually spray painted gold. He almost oh. suffocated. He, he almost passed out because he was wearing a, a, a mask that had been spray painted just a couple hours earlier. So the fumes so that's a, that's were a little just, insight. The fumes were just getting to him. Yeah. Huh. Well, that wouldn't have been good. I'm glad he was able to get through the match. <laughs> and and I would I would guess that is the mask that was uh, on underneath once the top mask came off. It is a different color. Yeah. <laughs> the way Christian's working here is so great. Sorry, yeah. dose. My bad. Dos. <laughs> dos. Uno and dos. Claro que sí. Here we go. What do we got? Double, double. Hooks mm. the leg. It's a good double, double. Perfectly timed. It's a pretty big challenge, though, isn't it, Matt, to have to change up your moveset a little bit here? Yes. It, uh, it, 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 Actually, I mean, for those guys to like work out of the norm, you have to be cognizant of it the whole while, because like once you start wrestling and you wrestle as many days as, as we wrestle when you're doing a like we're doing this time, I mean, it almost becomes instinctual to do things. So like you have to break your instinct. You almost have to like uh, deny your programming in many, many ways to, to, to do a different character, different persona, especially if you're trying to like uh, conceal your identity. Did you guys get the feeling that the crowd was into the conquistador stuff? Um, I don't know. I, I, I never got like a, it, it, it never felt like it was something that was like super hot and the people must see it. I think they kind of, even back in this day, the fans kind of understood the gig that was going on and they kind of went along with it, but it wasn't like something they were just craving to see this, this match and, and watch us go out and have a, a, a killer match and steal the show because that's not what this was. It's all character stuff. This is this is character stuff. This is entertainment driven. And that was the that was the purpose of this too. And I, I remember, you know, Vince and and the powers that be, that's how they laid it out too. Like this is supposed to be an entertaining bit that we're doing here. This whole little program and you know it was even entertaining when we finished this up is we ended up uh donning the conquistador outfits eventually yes and that is something we will talk about as we cover survivor series 2000 next month <laughs> in the lead up to that but i will say if anyone's going to be doing this conquistador stuff it's got to be edge and christian right yeah i mean they they, they were guys that could pull it off without a doubt Snap i was here. just going to say the uh the little sp- the little spot there where they uh, stopped Jeff, that was a very ENC spot, that, that little heat spot where they took him in, ran him, and slid him into the, the post. <laughs> the wall. The, the struts kill me. I do love Give that. All right. So we got Uno here. Uno's a lot taller than Dose, isn't he? <laughs> uh, he, is, he is a bit taller. He's a okay. bit tall. It's almost like Uno's going to be 45 times the star that Dose is going to be one day. Oh, my God. That's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just talking about Uno and Dennis. I reject that statement. About, I'm not talking about anybody else here. I'm just talking about Uno. Oh, I, I, oh, I see. I see. <laughs> what did Uno end up doing? Is he coming uh, to AEW anytime soon? I, you know, I, I believe that he had a short is, run is after Uno the, this. Is Uno the same Uno? This in Dark Order? Is it the same Uno? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, he and uh, Stu okay, Grayson, okay. they were the, they were the Super Smash Brothers and PWG for a while. But this was their start. They were the Conquistadors. I see. Yeah, I mean, everyone's got to start somewhere. <laughs> I mean, oh, I can't believe it. Hell, man, I can't believe that's how this got started. They started as like a Latin American yeah. performer, and, and it know, wasn't per- legit. It wasn't real. Just to kind of get their foot in the business. I mean, who would do that? Sounds like something Sami Zayn would do. Appropriation was a little different back then. You know? <laughs> You're telling me that Scott Hall wasn't actually, you know, from Cuba, Miami? None of that? No? Okay. Got it. It was a different time. You walking around the streets of Miami? World. You walking around the streets of Miami with a toothpick in your mouth? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm I'm not a big toothpick guy, so I, I don't have my toothpick this week. I'm I'm we curious. Go. I'm curious what you think about the length and flow here of this mm-hmm. match because we're not seeing a traditional Legend Christian match. It's them mm-hmm. in character. You're asking for the fans to come along for a ride here in that sense. And this is an era where it wasn't uncustomary to see a four and a half minute match, but we're right. asking them to buy in a little more here. Uh, what do you make it? Right. It was very hard because there was such a high bar for a Hardy Boys match because we would go all in and we weren't doing it here. This was entertainment driven. I love that Jimmy ass whispering the wind. Uno did. Right <laughs> And I'm sure he's like, oh, watch this. I'll do the whisper in the wind. <laughs> that was fantastic. Well, watch this. I'll do the whisper in the wind. And it's like he's like looking back, peering over shore. Whoa. <laughs> are they are they dropping any comments under the mask while you guys are working this match? Uh, Adam was uh, definitely let us, letting us know he was about to, to pass out from those uh, paint fumes. Okay. That was, that was an ongoing issue in, in this match, without a doubt. So they end up having a couple issues with these uh, conquistador outfits, as, as you'll see here in just a minute. I, I knew immediately. I watched this little clip earlier. Whenever uh, this was taken, I knew that was Jay just from the way to get because that was that was the the move that he took. That was always him. If we were doing that, if we were doing that move, which we don't do a lot nowadays, the RTC. That is uh, what Jeff named that. He called it "Run, yeah. Run the Curb." Here we go. That's also well, how you know who doses right there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we would call that internally the Jimmy Jimmy jump. And and I'll tell you, uh, Christian's mask slipped on that, so he couldn't see, and that's why he landed like he landed. And I'm sure that's why that ended up happening like it did. Because whenever uh, whenever Jay hit, he had a bit of a stinger. And if you can see, uh, if I'm not mistaken, his right arm, his right arm was like dead for 30 seconds. From yep. Stinger, as you can see, as he's rolling in, it's very, very obvious. Um, you know, we're communicating and talking, and we're trying to make this as, as simple as we ca- could. And and I want to say we may have even decided to like go home a little sooner, right here, with things yeah, we were doing I mean, because we knew we knew he was hurt. Look at his his arm is totally dead. Yeah, That's I mean, he couldn't feel it for ten seconds whenever we uh, whenever we first started doing it. That, and and you could see that the match had changed how. Adam actually yeah. took us 
took a second to make the make that save too because things had been had been changed. And then we get back to our originally scheduled programming. You see me getting ready to pull the mask off. And it was just one of those things, just like, you know, I, I can do it. Give me a second. Give me a second. That happened so often in wrestling. And here and, you go. Uh, let's get off that beautiful mask that had been spray painted. And yeah, look, he made he me feel so damn unpretty. He didn't even use his right arm on the unpretty. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. We got we got new tag. I mean he he, he he was he, he was down there, yeah. Yeah. Those conquistadors. So yeah, between J between uh between um uh number two there. Between number two getting a stinger and between number one about to pass out with all the uh paint that was on his mask, uh, they, they had some uphill challenges in that match. Conquistadors son ganadors in this match. They walk away with the tag team championship. <laughs> uh, how many stars are you giving that one, Maddie? Uh, I mean, considering what it was, I, I, I thought it was it was a very simple match, but it was also simple storytelling as well. And I, I'm good with it. I'm not really a star. I, I thought it was a good match. It was entertainment driven, but it was a good match. Dave Meltzer. I'm not, I'm not a big star rankings guy. I know actually. you're not. I know you're not, but we do like to, just for comparative purposes, bring them up. Dave Meltzer, not a fan of this sure. match. Not a fan of this match at all. He oh, sure. he felt I, I, that... I, I knew that already. He felt that this was actually the worst match that you guys have had with Edge and Christian to this point. He gives it three quarters of a star. doesn't even get a full star. And he does mention that the Christian injury probably had to do with some of it. On commentary, by the way, uh, JR did say that Edge and Christian were no Jose Estrada and Jose Luis Rivera, the original Conquistadors, of course. Right. They, they, they certainly were not them. But uh, I want to ask you here, you lose the titles less than a month after you win them. This big emotional win for you guys at Unforgiven. You were promised you would have the championships after not winning them at SummerSlam, and you lose them not long after. How were you guys feeling about that? I mean, we were fine. We knew we were going to win them back. Uh, and in some ways, that was actually cool because it added another rain to our, you know, to our title collection. But Vince always saw us, as, especially once we got over and we remained over, like we didn't need the titles. And he actually thought having the titles on a Hill team was better for business in the big scheme of things. And it's understandable. I mean, sometimes when acts are just so over, they, they don't need titles. And that's that's what the mindset was, and you know it is it is what it is. Later that night, Kurt Angle wins his first ever WWF Championship. He defeats The Rock after Rikishi right. screws things up for him because he did it for The Rock. Don't forget, and he's a bad man. Kurt was your training partner over in the Funkin' Dojo. He's right. on the main roster for less than a year at this point. He's the World Wrestling Federation champion. Uh, what was that like for all you guys who came up together, seeing how quickly Kurt ascended and climbed the mountain that night? I mean, it was cool. And uh, you, you could tell right from the jump that Kurt was an investment. Vince saw him as an investment and he wanted to, uh, you know, he wanted to collect on his investment. So it was cool that he lived up to Vince's expectations and he just really excelled so fast as a pro wrestler. Just thinking back to those days at the Funkin' Dojo, just like this was a whole new world to Kurt, a whole new world. And just considering he was able to consume information and consume the business so quickly and ascend 
so rapidly. You know, it just exponentially faster than most anyone else would that just has been introduced to the business. Kurt was just a special, special pro wrestler. That's why he got his little milk toast from you earlier. So cheers to you, Kurt Angle. That's right. Your first title here. I got a few Ask Matts, and then we'll get the hell out of here, Matt. Let's do it. We got one from Joey, the Toriamos guy. He says, Matt Hardy, what's your favorite Conquistador match? Oh, boy. Uh, my favorite Conquistador match is the match where myself and Jeff were the Conquistadors, and we beat Edge and Christian at different times back. A match that we will soon be covering here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Uh, Brad says, uh, Los Conquistadors, that angle, it's been done before and after this. Do you like it? You know, it's, it's pro wrestling. Uh, it's a little different nowadays, but... I didn't mind it. You know, it was very different. We were taking a different path than we normally did during this time, during this point in our career. So I enjoyed it. I I, I welcomed the change. And I, it, it was fun because we were doing it with Edge and Christian. And, and we had fun doing it together, which I think made it better. You know, it was guys that we enjoyed working with and we were doing things that we enjoyed. Kind of like stepping out of our comfort zones, doing something a little different. So, yeah, I, I'm okay with it. It's one of those things you can't do that angle time and time and time again. You can't do it over and over and over again. And it's been done quite a few times. It's just almost like one of those angles that keeps happening in pro wrestling. So I feel like you always have a point where a guy comes back as a conquistador or a midnight rider or what, whatever it may be. You know, it's just one of those things that's going to happen time and time. Kurt Angle even won a battle royal as a conquistador in 2019, I think it was. So yeah. even Kurt has been a fellow conquistador. Mr. Um, America, he falls he falls in that category. There you go. Uh, Mike Gallagher says, Mr. Hardy, I love the introduction of the conquistadors as a way of telling a different story. It was well-timed. Was it collaboration or was it someone's idea? So you're pretty sure it was Christian's idea here? Yeah, I think so. I actually uh, I texted him this morning, and he said, oh, I think it was mine. So even if, he, if, if it wasn't, he's going to get the credit for it. But I know once it started, we, we it was definitely a collaboration. Classic dose move. Classic, <laughs> if I've ever heard one. Uh, Bryant asks, how hard is it to put together a match and try and hide the moveset of the people hiding under the masks? I mean, as I was saying before, it is difficult when you go out and you portray two different personas two different characters that you're not normally because we were, we were working so much. Your in-ring work almost becomes instinctual. The way you move, uh, the, the way you give someone an Irish whip into the ropes, all this stuff like becomes instinctual. And to, to break that process and, and divert from all that is very challenging because you have to stay cognizant that you're being someone different the whole entire time. And that, that is very challenging. So it is. It's tricky, especially if you're trying to legitimately look like you're someone different. And our last question comes from Yambag Jones. He asks, what are the chances we get to see Los Conquistadors on AEW Dynamite? <laughs> Slim to none. Hypothetically speaking here, Matt, if the firm were to suspend Private Party and Matt Hardy together... Right. There's nothing saying that Los Conquistadors couldn't show up as a trio at some point. I mean, if uh, if it's a WWE trademark concept, there is. Mm. <laughs> Tony Khan would find you, a way around that, buddy. You can do with McDivitt, not me. <laughs> oh, we have. Don't worry. But anyway, <laughs> that's, that's the science point here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. This was a fun episode, Matt. I, I enjoyed this. is, for me, as a child... 
seeing all this stuff, this takes me right back to my real height as a wrestling fan. Loving the Hardy Boys, loving Edge and Christian, loving Uno and Dos. So this was fun for me to watch back with you here. And next week, Matt, we have maybe one of our top three most requested episodes coming up. And I know you're going to be very excited for this one. We are talking all things MVP. MVP, probably one of your most underrated and important feuds of your career. What can we look forward to with that one? Uh, well, speaking of Montel, Montavious Porter, speaking of Hassan Assad, I'm here in his hometown, 305 Miami, right here. Uh, so, yeah, I, I dig that. That was a very, very fun time in my career. It's a very fun point. Um, and two, it was it was very cool how our program got over, and we were we had like an open door policy. We had a anytime we wanted to walk in Vince's office and talk to him and suggest things, we could. So it was it was really successful, and and it really felt good to have the boss have that kind of faith and trust in you. So it was a lot of fun, and I'm I'm always excited to talk. Uh, you know, who's better than who when it comes to Matt Hardy and MVP. It's going to be a big episode here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. That is coming to you next week, of course. It's always a blast getting to chat with you, Matt, on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. But it's even more fun for our fans who can always get involved with the show by leaving a very, very special review. Isn't that true? That is true. Please leave us a great review and give our show on all platforms across the board, a five, cinco, five, cinco, five-star review. Just we're here in Miami, let's do that review again. Because here, Spanish is uno, English is dos. So it is cinco, 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 cinco. Star review. Okay. I appreciate that. In- English, that took a lot of work to get to. Yeah, cloud <laughs> uh, but we got a great Cinco, 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 Cinco star review from Athletic Geek 29, who says, I love this podcast. John does a great job interviewing the broken one and big money. Matt tells interesting stories and gives fun, firm, and fair opinions of everything that happened along the way. I must listen for any wrestling fan, especially those of us who grew up with the Hardy Boys. And again, guys, you leave us those five-star reviews. Send them to us at Matt Hardy Brand, at Matt Hardy Pod, at John Alba. You'll be entered to win a free T-shirt courtesy of the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Matt, we got MVP next week. Anything else you want to add, my friend? Uh, no, this was a lot of fun. I love revisiting the past and uh, especially some of the funner moments of our career, which this was certainly one of them doing the whole program with the uh, conquistadors. So I enjoyed it. And thank all of you who continue to put out these five-star reviews, who continue to learn and and tell the people about the podcast, because myself and John, we put so much heart and soul in this. And, and we want to thank you. Without you guys, there would be no us. So please keep telling people about it. Keep listening. And we promise we're going to give our best to you each and every week. That we will. We'll be seeing you guys WrestleCade weekend in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I cannot wait for it. Come hang out with us live and in person. The words have been spoken. Matt Hardy's got to hit the town in Miami. We'll see you next week right here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Delicious!